Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. Are you mocking me? No. Okay. Uh, Today's question, hey, Brian, is there nuclear waste in the ocean? And two, Mm -hmm. can I become a superhero if there is? And then just we should talk about the pros and cons of both of those things. I will swim in so much ocean for so long Uh if there's a possibility of me becoming a superhero. You have no idea. Jesus. Please. Uh, Our (sighs) guest uh, is the esteemed Dr. Claudia Benitez Nelson. She is the Distinguished Professor of Earth, Ocean, and Environment at the University of South Carolina, where she researches one thing. I'm kidding. 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 She researches... (laughs) biogeochemistry and geochemistry uh, because obviously she couldn't do just one of no, those. she's not a slacker. Oh, kidding again. Also climate change, coastal processes, oceanography, policy, water resources, and hey, hydrology. I yeah. studied theater for one year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Benitez Nelson is the co-author of a paper last year on the fallout from the Fukushima disaster and how it affected uh, the Pacific Ocean and everything. We're in uh, seven years later. Holy cow, did I learn some shit today. Yeah, I was pretty um, surprised. And excited, excited and terrified <laughs> and uh, yeah, pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. And yes. she, she was very kind to slow things down for us at times. Yeah, we had to take a few steps back, a few, hey, what does that mean? And she was such so sweet about it. And, and helpful. Yeah, and, and I will say again, without getting too much into it, I the goal of these things, as always, is to inform better conversations, and I feel a ten thousand percent better informed. Oh yeah, on nuclear power and the pros and cons than ever prior before. Which I guess I think prior before are the same words. Prior and before, you just said it's a little bit redundant, but we all get it. <laughs> Great. Let's go have let's, this conversation with the smartest Dr. person Fadia on the planet. Great. Okay. Our guest today is Dr. Claudia Benitez Nelson, and together we're going to discuss, uh, Brian, true or false, there is nuclear waste in the ocean. Uh, Get excited. Uh, Dr. Benitez Nelson, welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Can't wait to get the uh, answer to that question as we dig into this conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doctor, if you wouldn't mind just uh, starting off by telling us all who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, I'm a professor in the School of the Earth, Ocean, and Environment in the University of South Carolina. And I am an oceanographer and I use natural and artificially occurring radionuclides to look at a variety of processes in the ocean, how material makes its way into the ocean and how it mixes around and, and then what happens to it once it once it gets here. That's what I tell my parents. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Got it. I just my parents just shake their heads at me at this point. They're uh, they're they're you very stop that. They're very patient. Um, very proud. Awesome. I I come into these um podcasts uh knowing uh, uh not a, a ton uh so that I can be uh, a voice for our listeners and ask lots of questions and so I can only assume that there uh, is uh some bad stuff going on with the ocean. Uh, so we're going to get into that and um uh, we are going to uh by the end of this or throughout it. Uh, come up with some some action steps that our listeners can take to help support you and uh, help clean up this dang ocean. Yeah. yeah Sounds a- great. <laughs> good, good, good. good. We're really there. glad because that's, yeah. that's why you're here. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's fix this thing, especially with some of that ocean news that's yeah. come out this week. Yeah. Good times. Um, so, uh, doctor, we start with one 
important question, something to set the tone a little bit. Instead of saying, tell us your whole life story, as fascinating as I'm sure that is, yeah. uh, we like to ask, Doctor, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I... I'm speechless. Mm -hmm. um, that's a rare event for me. Uh, in terms of, you know, my research, I guess I don't feel like I'm all that vital to the survival of species. I mean, I, I do good work. You know, I, 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 I you know, I, I think I contribute. Um, I'm not, I don't, I doubt that I will ever win a Nobel Prize or, you know, a MacArthur Fellowship, although I wouldn't turn them down. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I'm probably the most vital in that. I think, I think it's really important to bring people together who have very different views and to teach and communicate kind of the work I do and kind of this amazing earth we live on to the kind of the next generation. I think that's where I'm really making my mark at this point in time. I think everybody should know how the world works and what an amazing place it is. And, and I think that's how I'm contributing, I think, to our future and our, our hopefully very positive and optimistic future on this planet. I love that. That's yeah. I've, that, said, it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We always get that initial like, oh, oh, I don't know. And then this Great answer follows. Yeah. Oh, uh, good. I'm glad it's a <laughs> it's a great answer. <laughs> oh hell yeah, man! I, I mean, it's it is it is so vital what you what you are doing, both in your your research and your your day to day life, passing it on to the next generation. Who, if we haven't made clear enough on this podcast, is going to have to save us all. Yeah. So people like you, and are I am essential. very confident that they're going to. Let me tell you, I teach such amazingly smart and innovative and just thought-provoking students. It, it really just gives me such great pleasure to, to think about our future in a very positive way. Oh, that is so incredible to hear. I'll take it. I'll Holy take it. Cow. Awesome. All right. So let's dig into this a little bit. So uh, we're here on the, on the West Coast of the United States, uh, Los Angeles to be specific. You know, uh, about uh, seven and a half years ago, Something went down in Japan that scared a lot of people uh, in a lot of places. The Fukushima nuclear power plant went boom, boom. And that was for a very specific, quote unquote, uh, act of God. Boom, so, boom. I like that. Yeah. The, the plant, or I guess what's left of it, is, for reference, is located on the east coast of Japan, uh, a little bit north of Tokyo. It was commissioned in 1971 as one of the 15 most powerful nuclear stations on the planet. And uh, sadly, on March 11, 2011, Japan was crushed by a 9.0 earthquake and a subsequent tsunami. Um, mm. So I'm going to kind of parse uh, what Wikipedia here has here about what happened. Uh, the active reactors automatically shut down their sustained fission reactions. However, the tsunami disabled the emergency generators that would have provided power to control and operate the pumps necessary to cool them down. Uh, the insufficient cooling led to three nuclear meltdowns, hydrogen air explosions, and the release of radioactive material. Uh, loss of cooling also raised concerns over the recently loaded spent fuel pool, uh, which is not helpful. Uh, so clearly <laughs> a 9.0 earthquake and tsunami are, are nothing to fuck with. God knows what they would do to Los Angeles or anywhere oh on the East Coast. And yet, further, the operator was found later to have failed to meet a variety of basic safety requirements. So the Fukushima disaster is called of the worst nuclear disaster since Chernobyl. 
uh, bad news for sure. But here's the thing. Uh, there's only been one reported fatality on account of the disaster. The United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation and the World Health Organization report that there will be no increase in miscarriages, stillbirths, or physical and mental disorders in babies born after the accident. Uh, of course, uh, nuclear waste has quite the shelf life, and we're just seven years later, yeah. so who knows? Uh, why is this all important? Well, um, because the word nuclear uh, scares a shitload of people. And it excites... <laughs> it absolutely yeah. does. And, it, it, you know what? It excites uh, just as many, uh, depending on whichever way you see it, right? Nuclear power is either a temporary uh, stepping stone to a much cleaner energy future, uh, a hiccup we've had along the way, uh, uh, an abomination, a relic of the past, or actually a significant piece for a clean energy future. And, and I got to tell you that among those disparate groups, there's not a lot of middle ground that, that I have seen, which, which is unfortunate, uh, but also not surprising in 2018. Uh, and because of the mostly... Uh, uh, relatively unwarranted fears, we've done a pretty shit job across the world of developing, standardizing, and commercializing the next generation of nuclear plants. Again, Fukushima was commissioned in 71. That was a 40-year-old plant. Yeah. So most of the current ones are like that. They're pretty old. All that said, perspective is important. Coal is a, is a health nightmare uh, on the mining and production fronts on a day-to-day -day fucking basis, right? Uh, fracking causes earthquakes, which is not great. And nope. uh, you can ask the folks in Boston, it, it can help cause gas lines to explode. Ugh. But people get worried. I get it. Um, and for the past seven years, West Coasters have been pretty terrified about nuclear waste uh, washing up in their water and on the beach. So we would like to dig in and set the record straight, or at least use our podcast as a, a vessel of sorts for our esteemed guests to set the record straight while we stand by and let her do her thing. So... Uh, doctor, with that for some context, let's focus on our topic. Uh, <laughs> true or false, there's nuclear waste in the ocean. Good or bad? Let's find out. So if we can cut to it real quick, the question everybody wants answered, right? We've been waiting almost a decade. And all your research, uh, all your travels, the trials, uh, the tribulations, the late nights, uh, the, the papers, the revelations, <laughs> the setbacks, have you found any evidence whatsoever that I could go swimming in the Pacific and become a superhero? Uh, unfortunately not. As much as we would, I would love for all of us to go swimming in the ocean and become superheroes. <sighs> oh, that'd be so cool. That is, yeah, yeah. Fine. No, I mean, you've raised a lot of really good points. And, you know, I, I agree with you. you. You say the words radioactivity or radiation, and it just provokes this real visceral response about just fear and angst. And, uh, and, and that is an issue. I mean... We have radioactivity all around us. Um, we consume radioactivity on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. uh, we are exposed Damn. to radiation when we fly in planes or we sleep next to our loved ones. Um, you know, and and so that does not mean that is in all cases you can you can have too much of a good thing, right? So sure. too much exposure can can certainly lead to, to lots and lots of bad health effects. But I think trying to understand and just have some kind of baseline knowledge of what radioactivity is, what radiation is, is, is really important if you, if you even want to start the, the conversation. Um, I live here in South Carolina. I live very close to a number of, of power plants, nuclear power plants that um, have been 
dis- decommissioned and there's always concerns about leaks and big waste sites and what happens with that radioactivity. And I always have to say, well, I'm actually not so worried about the radioactivity. I'm worried about all those organic pollutants and all those other things that they've been, hmm. you know, putting into the groundwater that I think is going to get me first. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. So again, you know, I think there's just um, a lot of misinformation about radioactivity that, you know, just just makes it difficult to talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> wow. That's a that's a I think a very important start. So, is there any are there any misunderstandings, myths, uh, conspiracies that you would like to correct off the bat so that we can get off on the right foot here? Yes, please. What do you think is the number one cause of death from you know radioactivity? What do you think is the most highest exposure to radioactivity, like in the world where you're at? Anything like that? Can you can you make some guesses? Well, you said we couldn't become a superhero, supervillain, so it's not can't, that. Right. You can't. Um, uh, does, does like how many people die of skin cancer? Not that many. Skin cancer, microwaves, uh, microwaves, right? You, you could, right? Maybe if you lived near Chernobyl, sure, yeah. right, right. maybe. I, I don't yeah. know. Just hit me. What do we got? <laughs> smoking. Smoking is is the largest. If you're a smoker. You get the highest dose of radiation than, than anyone, relatively speaking. Because what? I know, I know. They get the highest dose of radiation. I mean, I truly don't understand radiation. why people are smoking cigarettes anymore. And but. you know, yeah, you worry about like the tar and sure. like all the toxins, et cetera. But there is naturally occurring radioactivity that accumulates in, you know, tobacco products. And when you smoke, you're inhaling that those radioactive elements into your lungs and they're just radiating the crap out of it. It's in the tobacco? Yeah. And so when you're smoking it, the polonium, it's radioactive polonium and 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 lead, it literally, the smoke gets into your lungs and you're just getting exposed to huge amounts of ionizing radiation. Have you seen how cool people look though when they smoke? So, <laughs> they do. Pretty they, good they, argument, huh? Maybe. <laughs> oh my God. That's really well, wild. Okay. But, but, you know, so you, you think about, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm worried about living near my, my nuclear power plant. I'm worried about, Whoa. you know, um, nuclear waste. And I'll just say to you, hey, don't smoke. <laughs> that would be a good start. A friend, uh, I'm an, an older friend, uh, went to a doctor once uh, sometime in the past few years and, and came home and humbly told me the story about going in and, you know, it's Los Angeles. They went in and they're like, oh, okay. I got a list of like, I've heard I should follow this diet and I should do this thing and I should eat this specific thing and I can gluten in this and this. And the doctor is like, maybe just stop fucking smoking two specks of cigarettes a day. Uh, like, yeah, why don't yeah. we start there, champ? Wow. And right? that, that is without me knowing about the radioactivity. Yeah. Which is, it wow. was already terrible. Okay. What, what else you got? Blow some more minds here. Uh, okay. So we are naturally exposed, um, to radiation all the time. We get some from the sun's rays, right? That's why, Mm -hmm. you know, you put on sunscreen. Uh, but you know that our exposure to radioactivity has actually increased over the last several decades. Hmm. Um, do you want to know, can you guess as to why? Now? No, no, no. (laughs) Is it cigarettes? (laughs) No, actually it's not. It's, because we go in for more medical testing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, you know, when you go in to get radiation therapy or, or x-rays, just x-rays, 
right? That's where we're getting a lot more of our exposure uh, to radiation these days, as opposed to, you mm. know, nuclear fallout, swimming in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's medical. Hmm. Who knew? All right. That's, yeah. Wow. Not us. Um, no, it's so, still low. Let me just say it's still low, right? We're sure. talking, you know. It's all relative. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's all relative. But, but that's where, <laughs> that's where we get our biz- biggest um, exposure to radiation. And that's why it's increased. So the more industrialized nations, you get large, higher exposures to radiation because mm-hmm. you are, you know, you have more access to, to better health care. Sure. Sure. Well, theoretically, better healthcare. Yeah. Um, theoretically, uh, right, right. So, you know. all right. So now that that's in context, which is crazy, talk to us about what you know ha- happened after that disaster with with the ocean, because again, uh, obviously, Japan is an island nation, uh, and and what what it looks like. Because I know you you've put together some some papers on on, sure. on the subject and and what's going on there. So just so we can set everyone's mind straight on that front. That's great. So I have a, a a wonderful colleague who's really been leading the way in a lot of this work, and that's Ken Bissler, and he's at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. And you know, essentially, what happened was we had this enormous earthquake, this huge tsunami that came in, killed actually quite a number. I think over fifteen thousand people. But wow. in the process of that tsunami and that earthquake hitting the coast of Japan, it essentially, you know broke, for lack of a better word, you know, the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plants. They they had a meltdown, they had a semi-meltdown, and they released a lot of radiation into the atmosphere and into the coastal ocean. So when we talk about radioactivity, there's a lot of different kinds of radiation. And so mm-hmm. that can be confusing. The kind of the big three that we're really concerned with that was released from Fukushima are iodine-131 uh, and then cesium, cesium-134 and cesium-137. These are three very different elements. There are two elements, and so they have very different reactivities and um, how they enter into the oceans and then what happens to them. Iodine-131 really only lasts about you know, 17, 18 days. It, it, has, it degrades really quickly. It decays. Hmm with an eight-day half-life. So by 16 days after that, you know, initial explosion, you were down to like 25% of the iodine-131 that was released, mm. right? So it, it went away really quickly. Can I, can I ask right? a dumb question? And that's sure. which we try to ask a lot of these. Where does it go? You're saying it decays and the half-life is, I'm sorry, eight days or 16 days. Because I know a lot of people talk about, you know, the enormously, you know, long shelf life of, of variations on nuclear waste, which, as you say, is pretty complicated terminology. But where is it decaying to and, and what does it become like once it's in the ocean, I guess, after that half-life? Okay. So I think we should just take a step back Please. and think about <laughs> and think about like what is radiation. Yes, right? yeah, what yes, is do it. it? Perfect. What do is it. it, right? So we talk about radioactivity in kind of the simplest sense. Mm-hmm. It is it is like alchemy, right? It's the mm-hmm. most it's the spontaneous change of one element mm-hmm. into another. Okay. Right? right? And and it's spontaneously kind of doing this because it has all of this excess energy and it makes it unstable and it want to get wants to get down to that stable place right? Mm-hmm. wants to get as stable as it can possibly be. 
And so when it does that kind of instantaneous transformation, it emits energy or radiation, and that's in the form of these particles. And so when we talk about decay, we're talking about the emission of this radiation, and it can be a a bunch of different types of radiation, and this you know, spontaneous change from one element into another. And they can be very different elements with regards to their reactivities, you know, how they, you know, react in an ecosystem, etc. So when iodine-131 decays, um, it decays through several pathways, but it, it, it decays to xenon. <laughs> okay. And xenon is pretty unreactive. Right. And it's, and, and so it decays to xenon and then xenon kind of hangs around and that's okay. 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 That's what we're looking okay. for. That's, that's what you offer. So it's my long winded answer, but no, I'm, no, that's no, no, I, that's important. That's yeah, everybody, you know, is, is riding around on their public transportation is like, when is she going to say it's okay? Right. right. Uh, it's okay. And, it's okay. Got okay. it. All right. right. Uh, so I have a, just a, a short follow up in those 16 days when uh, 75% of the iodine 131 uh, decayed and disappeared into xenon or whatever did did those like did it fuck shit up in those 16 days so that's the technical question oh yes right did it did it did it screw stuff up screw stuff up yes ma'am not that we know of okay okay i mean it looks like it it went in and and it dispersed really quickly okay fascinating right there's two others there's two other radioactive elements there's cesium Mm -hmm. okay and there's two different ones there's cesium 134 and cesium 137 And they exist in the oceans for very different amounts of time. One is for two years and the other is for 30 years. Whoa. Okay, that's and different. I know. So the 30 year one, you're like, oh, okay. Right. You know, yeah. that could that could be that could be, you know, pretty big. But it turns out that once it entered into the ocean, I guess I, I hate to use this terminology, but we talk a lot about, you know, the answer to pollution is dilution. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, a lot of the radioactivity that came out of Fukushima into the oceans, it got diluted fairly quickly. Hmm. And it got diluted to levels that are just relatively quickly far below what we even worry about in terms of nuclear regulatory standards. So, so by that I mean is it's so low that they don't even measure it and we don't care about it. And there's, there are no impacts that we are aware of at all. And so there wow. might have been some detrimental effects that we think that were in fish because fish can actually take right. up cesium and and fish may have been exposed to some type of detrimental impact as long as maybe two or even three years after the radiation was emitted. And mm-hmm. you know, but but we there's there's no evidence whatsoever that it has had any impact on um, humans who consume the fish. The fish themselves, we think it, they could have had an impact on them, but we don't have any real evidence that there was that much impact on them. That's fascinating because I just finished digging through Paul Greenberg. He wrote uh, Four Fish, American Catch, and then a new one uh, about the omega-3 economy, basically. And, and he he enlightened me. I did not realize uh, that eight, eight, we import, the U.S. imports about 80% of, their, uh, of our seafood, which is insane. And we export about 80%. the same amount. So I'm just, you know, with a lot of things like the shrimp coming from Thailand and things like that, I, I, that was my next question is, okay, so if it dissipated in the ocean, what about the, what about the marine life and further the marine life that we consume? 
Yeah. And so that's the amazing thing is, you know, even though this radiation was emitted into the atmosphere and into the oceans, what actually went into the oceans was diluted. You know, if you get really, really close to the to the plant, um, you saw very, you know, much higher levels relative to what you typically find in seawater. And but but those levels with regards to their impact on us, right, Mm -hmm. or you know, was was surprising, it was low, right? So we're just really good at measuring radiation and anthropogenic radiation because we worry about it a lot, right? So we can detect sure. really, really, really small quantities. And so, but just because we can detect it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be harmful to those, who, you know, to us as we consume it or or stand next to it or etc. And in fact, those that that's actually a really tough thing to do is, you know, figure out what those impacts really are kind of on the long term. Uh, yeah, so that's 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 interesting. So I I'm curious where everyone f- stands now because it sounds like the mantra isn't like, hey, it turns out everything is fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's much more complicated than that, but considering the long term, what what is the outlook going forward on 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 this particular disaster? Actually, it's pretty positive. I mean, the good news is that these are what we call short lived radioactive elements. So, the iodine is already gone, right? One thirty one, it's already gone. It's been five years. <laughs> it's, right. it's long gone. Cesium one thirty four has a half life of two years, so it means that every two years, about half of what you started with is gone. Right, so cesium one thirty four, we're it's it's you know pretty low at this point, right? Right, and then there's cesium one thirty seven that has a half life of thirty years. So every thirty years, about half of what you started with disappears, mm-hmm. right? And again, the the activities that were released into the ocean got diluted very you know relatively quickly, or Many of them, some of that um, got picked onto particles and sank to the to the really deep sea floor where it's gotten buried. Now it's possible, but as it gets buried, it can get mixed and it can maybe make its way into the organisms that live on the sea floor. Mm-hmm. But the activities or that we're measuring or that have been measured, again, are relatively low. There's there's no indication um, that they're gonna that these organisms have detrimental effects from it. So the short so the short answer is if I went to Japan and somebody offered me seafood would I eat it and the answer would be absolutely. It <laughs> is is like so clearly there are uh, other radioactive elements was the, did this end up not being so bad just because the what ended up getting spilled in the ocean just didn't happen to be that bad like it could have been much worse right. That's a great question and and and, yeah. and I think that's where I want to talk a little bit about assumptions. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So it's been seven years. Um, where, where does this disaster rank on assumptions? I mean, it was a, you know, Japan's an island nation. Uh, it's got a 40 year old top 15, most powerful nuclear power plant, uh, gets just destroyed by a, a, an earthquake and a tsunami. What, what was everybody's initial assumption? Like, like professional, you know, not, yeah, not, yeah. not Brian, not me. No, no, not me, but professional assumptions on, on how bad it could be specifically. Oh, I mean, there were concerns, right? I mean, we right. went there right away and, and everyone was wearing, you know, dissymmetry badges, which measures radiation pretty quickly, huh. you know, because there was a lot of concern. Wow, how much was released? What, right, you know, right. was this, 
You know, where did it go? Um, in many ways, having it go into the oceans was probably the best place where it could have gone, right? Because it can get diluted and right. mixed out relatively quickly. We can compare it to, for example, Chernobyl, mm-hmm. right? Chernobyl, when that nuclear accident happened, it happened on land and a lot of the radioactivity settled right there. And so, you know, that made it, you know, a much more impactful radioactive event, Mm -hmm. specifically to us, you know, who live on land. And so that was, you know, that that was kind of a a big deal. Sure, it had nowhere to go. It had nowhere to go. Whereas, you know, Chernobyl in perspective, you know, or excuse me, Fukushima in perspective, you know, it got into the oceans and, you know, it diluted away. And, you know, we've had a number of accidents, you know, over the history of, you know, radioactivity in the environment, everything from kind of the the accidents that we hear a lot about. So Chernobyl, it released like 5,000 petabecquerels of radioactivity into the environment. Fukushima released 500, right? So it's an order of magnitude lower, just to put things in perspective. But, you know, we had, we've had planned releases from nuclear fuel reprocessing plants that we've just, you know, kind of let go into the ocean. Oh, oh. right. Yeah, we've done that. I know, I know. (laughs) In fact, in fact, um, from what we can, from what we know, um, there are, Nuclear fuel reprocessing plants. There's two, the Sellafield and the Cap de la Hague, which are in the United Kingdom and France. It's released about 40 petabecquerels to the oceans over its time, both what they did on purpose and maybe what they kind of did and shouldn't have. That's actually more than what we think the same amount of you know becquerels that were released by Fukushima to the oceans. Could you just do me a quick favor and? <laughs> Define yeah. Becquerel. Is that like a like <laughs> for so everybody? Sorry, no, totally it's fine. Inserted. It's just like is that a like a backpack full or a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, like a lar- like a large oh suitcase? Gosh. Like what do we? Uh, and you also was there another one a paid Becquerel? There was like two forms. Of- I know. I totally nerded out on you. No, you it was awesome. Look, nerding out's great. We're gonna let you go with it. Yeah. But then uh, occasionally we need to step back and say it's clear that you're just making up words at this point. <laughs> so if you could if you could just detail them out for us, that would be great. Okay, so those of us who who kind of live and breathe radioactivity, we don't like to talk in terms of atom or grams of material. We tend to talk things of atoms of material. Um, okay. And we talk about, so we're really small, okay? And then when we talk about radioactive substances, we like to talk about their existence in the environment and the radioactivity that they emit. So we'll talk about them in terms of disintegrations or radioactive events per second or per minute or how per year, right? This is kind of our language. And a Becquerel is a disintegration per second. So how much radiation is being emitted, you know, necessarily uh-huh. disintegrations per second, how it's, how it's decaying. And a petabecquerel is one, uh, one million billion Becquerels. It's Brian, 10 to 15th Becquerels. Brian is so furiously eight, scribbling nine, on a cocktail now. But this is, again, oh. this is, 
it seems like a lot, right? You're like, oh my gosh, it's one million billion becquerels. <laughs> right. But we're wow. talking atoms, right? These are these are just so you know it, it it is a much smaller scale because that's how we that's how we measure it. On a super tiny scale. <laughs> super tiny scale, I know. Hi, it's Brian. Quinn's making Earl Grey tea. I got a quick favor. Every podcast you listen to begs for a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And here's why. Not everybody listens on Apple Podcasts like you might not be doing right now, but 70% of our listeners and most podcast listeners are on Apple Podcasts. And the top charts are a huge source of even more new listeners. So here's the deal. Some unholy combination of downloads and ratings and reviews drive up those top charts. And we like being on those top charts and getting new listeners. So we need your help. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts right this second, it's super easy. It'll take five seconds. If you're staring at the episode screen, swipe down. And then down at the bottom, tap the little library button. Then tap our show. Scroll down to ratings and reviews and do the damn thing. It takes one second to hit a star and then like another five seconds to write a review. We'll wait. Great. Thank you. We love you. Now back to the episode. Okay, so... This is interesting. So, so basically, we went in, you know, f- mm. fearing, as Brian said, all those factors. Oh my God, they get crushed by earthquake and tsunami. It's on the it's on the coast. It's, it's an old one, but it's very powerful. Everything is spilling into the ocean, into the right. into the water and the food on a city that relies on seafood, and uh, you know, into our into our biggest ocean and the currents and all this. And yet, it seems like it went okay. So, so I guess two questions, which is one. Going back to Brian's question, which is, did it come down to what actually went into the ocean? Was that everything or is that just a part of it? Or did we get lucky that X didn't go into the ocean? Uh, Could you just clarify that bigger picture a little bit? Like, was this the whole of a nuclear disaster went into the ocean? It turned out it went bad. Or was it just like, oh, my God, we got lucky. These three pieces were the only thing. No, I mean, we we did get lucky. I mean, it it didn't, you know, fully um, go into full meltdown mode. You know, there was a release, there was explosions, but it and it could have been much worse. I can't tell you the absolute magnitude, but we were just lucky in that it, you know, that's what was released. We were able to shut it down. It released, you know, material into the atmosphere that actually all settled down on Japan. And, you know, they've been working to clean it up, but it's been, you know, very low, low levels. And so we, yes, we're lucky. And the oceans are good. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I mean, we have, you know, the oceans are naturally radioactive because we have all these naturally occurring radioactive elements that just exist in our oceans all the time. I think that's a really right? important point to make. Could you just clarify that a little bit? Because I yeah, think so, people see oceans, which I love and should remain this way as these pristine things, mm-hmm. but they're very complicated. And if you could just explain are. that quickly, I'd really appreciate it. So we have naturally occurring radioactive elements on this planet. We do. Potassium. You you eat radioactivity when you have a banana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love bananas. I have bananas every day. I mm-hmm. love bananas, right? So we, you know, we eat it. We um, and in the oceans, we have naturally occurring radioactivity. It's just part of the chemistry of the ocean. Uh, it's from you know erosion of rocks, etc. And so the average radioactivity you might find in the ocean is on the order of 
one becquerel per like a thousand liters, right? One to two becquerels per thousand liters. That's, okay. that's what we typically exist in in the ocean. If you're looking at like cesium, for an example. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> but if you go to say, remember I was talking about up to Sellafield or the North Sea and you look at, right, that mm-hmm. radioactivity, it could be as high as 60 becquerels oh. for a Wh- thousand liters. Why yeah. is that? Because they were releasing nuclear fuel oh, right. into... Yes, the thing you just told us about. <laughs> yes, that's right. right. Um, you go to Japan and at one point there was high as about two to three becquerels per thousand liters and now it's it's declines every day gets lower you know every day because of that anthropogenic impacts so you know i i just want to put that in in perspective in terms of what naturally exists so if so if you were to look at all of the cesium in the ocean you would have about let's see let's let's use that peta becquerel number that one million billion becquerels right so from uranium that just naturally exists in the ocean, nobody did anything to the ocean. That's where it is. We have about 37,000 petabecquerels that just exist in the ocean from huh. uranium. That's uranium itself. Wow. Man. I know. Today is like a master class. Yes, it's crazy. Potassium crazy. 40. Potassium is that radioactive element that, we, that exists like in bananas and we eat it. Sure. Right? That's on the... Yeah. That's like 50. Million petabecquerels. <sighs> I know I'm blowing your mind. Now, keep in mind that you know radiation is different. All elements, you know, give off different types of radiation. Yeah. But I just want to, you know, if you were to do all of the global nuclear weapons testing that happened throughout the 1950s and the 1960s, and you're like, okay, how much did it add to the oceans? You're at a thousand. Petabecquerels. Fascinating. Yeah, so way lower, way lower. Chernobyl, about 85 petabecquerels. And Fukushima, yeah, maybe about 40, 50 petabecquerels. And that's really, you know, 10 to 60, depending on who you believe, you know? Right, sure. What's like a really bad number for, like, how many petabecquerels is just like lights out, nightmare scenario? Just curious. Okay. So, so I'm gonna nerd out just a little okay. bit more we for like you. That. Perfect. Okay. So when I said becquerel, I was like, how you know it disintegrates per second, right? right? I'm like whatever. So the question though is, what's the what kind of radiation is it releasing? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's not so much just the quantity, but what it's what not is just the, the quantity, right, right. but what's actually being yeah. released. And so that's really important because if it's something like an alpha particle, and these are really high energy um, particles that get released for radiation, but it won't penetrate like your skin, right? right. You're like, oh yeah, I'm good. But if you were to inhale it and get it into your lungs, that's the smokers, Mm -hmm. that's really bad. Yeah, right. Okay, so we tend to talk about radiation and radiation exposure, and we take into account kind of how it impacts the human body, the type of radiation that's occurring, because we know that depending on your exposure, you'll get different types. And so we'll tend to use a a different kind of terminology and one that might be a little bit more familiar if you just 
care about radiation exposure, and that's what's called a sievert. Okay. So the average person gets about three to six millisieverts a year. And what is it from? It's because they're getting x rays, they're flying on planes, they're drinking food, they eat lots of bananas, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they happen to be, you know, they live in a building that has lots of concrete, right? So, so that's kind of the average person's exposure. If you worked in a, in a nuclear power plant, you're a radiation worker, you know, worked with CTs and all that stuff, 50 millisieverts for your whole body is about 50 millisieverts a year. That's the regulatory limit. Okay. All right. Okay. A hundred millisieverts a year. That's pretty much the lowest level that we know of that you have a documented increase in cancer risk. Oh. And, and how do how does one get get to a hundred? Right. When it so normally happens. Right. So a hundred millisieverts a year. You're talking about pretty much direct exposure to radioactivity like on the order of you were right there when Fukushima, when it had its, um, when they had the accident, you were right there. Gotcha. You know, and you got, you got that direct exposure right right Mm -hmm. there. And so when you talk about how many people died from radiation, you know, exposure in Fukushima, it it was really one. Crazy. Right. And you're like, really? Because that was, it released how many petabecalhouses yeah, yeah. in sure. the environment, right? So that's, so I, you know, that's, that's exactly right. Um, right? Well, it's good. it's good to hear. Okay. Um, all right. So what have we, uh, you know, really learned? What went well and, and what could we have done better? Um, what could have gone worse? And, you know, how do we apply uh, all these learnings going uh, forward in, in disaster planning around nuclear uh, facilities? You know, to make sure that uh, it had it been some other radioactive element that didn't disappear in three days or whatever. Uh, you That's know. Right. Well, so many of the power plants are kind of similar in kinds of the the composition of their of the elements that they have in oh, terms oh. of radioactivity. That's that you know, there's a lot of similarities amongst oh. these types of plants. There's there's some differences, but that's kind of a starting place. So I would guess number one is follow the safety rules, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Good. <laughs> follow the safety rules. Make sure that your plants are getting expect, you know, inspected, you know, spend the money when you need to spend right. the money, you know, keep your workers well-trained. I mean, that's, that's clear, right? Sure. Um, so, uh, and where do you build nuclear power plants, right? Sure. So, And that's a really tough question because you're like, how could you have built nuclear power in Japan when we know you have so many earthquakes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the earthquake that really took you out, right? Right. It was the tsunami that came in, right? right? And, And really, you know, damaged that power plant. And those are hard to predict. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a know? gentle way of putting it, right? Yeah, but I think yeah. this is, these are important questions because of kind of what we've been, uh, you know, working towards a little bit is this question of, and this is a broader question we can talk about more another time, which is the broader question of where does nuclear fit into our clean energy future, mm-hmm. and and this is a really fascinating test case of 
of of literally geographically where does it fit in, but yeah. also as as a as both as a the pros and cons of of the com- completely clean energy, yet the potential the disaster potential, and also of course the the bigger question of of where and how we uh, store store the the waste that has a much longer shelf life. Um, so it, that's kind of what, where I'm, I'm really interested in sort of the best practices we've learned. H- how do you feel like this has affected nuclear's reputation as a, as a power source? And, and do you have any sort of position on nuclear energy being so close to it? <laughs> so, oh, I mean, I think it set back anyone who wanted to build a nuclear power plant, you know, decades. Oh, yeah. I mean, decades, you wow. know, yeah. I mean, you know, you... You know, after Chernobyl, there was a big, oh, you know, we don't want to do this. And certainly after Fukushima, it's the same response. Well, it sounds like nothing bad even happened. Well, I mean, you got radiation released. Few people died. I mean, you know, it wasn't, you know, wasn't great. A lot of fear, a lot of concern. I think there's a lot of mental health effects from just fear, right, Of, of what the, of what radioactivity could do to you. But doesn't that compare? I mean, again, this is a really simple, stupid, stupid analogy. But, you know, we talk about uh, I was listening to Yuval Harari's new book and, 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 and people have made this point a thousand times. But fear is so important. You know, we look at what how much we spend on on the quote unquote war on terror and how many lives is taken versus the fact that, you know, in 2017, 33,000 Americans died in car crashes or what obesity does or sepsis or things like that. Um, and just putting everything in perspective, you know, the, the, the pros and, and cons of these things, you know, yes, w- it was a disaster. And yet what it could do for us so quickly to, to help bring down uh, the carbon in the atmosphere. But I think it's also control, right? I mean, you know, when you're driving, you know, there's some type of control. You're in the driver's seat and, you, and the accident's not going to happen to you. Whereas <laughs> it turns out statistically it fucking is. Yeah. I know? know, but but I think there's, you know, this sure. psychological well, it's the same thing as flying. I'm terrified of flying and it's I I honestly think most of it is because I'm not in control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in terms of nuclear energy, I mean there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons. I mean, I'll just be flat out with you. The biggest kind of con for nuclear energy, you know, nuclear energy is we don't know what to do, you know, with the spent fuel rods. Yeah, and I, I mean, would love to have another conversation are, with you, a longer you know, one about that. Many people are worried about, oh, there's going to be an accident, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, you know, you want to wait, because when you have a, when the nuclear power plant has an accident, that's a very different, you know, level of accident than, you know, when your coal plant has an accident, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I get that. Um, but I would just say, you know, right up front is, what do we do with the waste? Right. And, I th- and that's, nobody I, wants it. <laughs> right. What and do we do with it? How do we deal with it? There's yeah. been some interesting journalism recently about, um, and Brian will love this being from Chicago. I, I, I was doing some preliminary reading talking about how there's 60,000 tons of radioactive waste on the Great Lakes shores uh. because America's done such a poor job of developing much less facilities, but, but even a plan of what to do with this stuff. Um, yeah. And, uh. and that is like a fundamental question uh, of how and what where do we do with this yeah no one wants a nuclear power plant in their backyard nobody wants the waste in their backyard but i you know but i'm like do, do you know where the waste is 
it's pretty much in everyone's backyard right, right. right now because nobody knows what to do with it. So yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, a big problem. Mm-hmm. And we have ways to reprocess it, you know, put it into forms that make it certainly less reactive and, and kind of, you know, put it in, and hidden away. But we have very, very few facilities that are capable of doing that process. Right. The Savannah River site, that's just really, you know, an hour and a half down the road for me. You know, they're one of the main sites for this. And, and you know, they, they're working nonstop and it's going to take them decades to just deal Jesus. with the waste that, that they have on right. site. And, and they're just storing it because they don't know what to actually do with it. Right. I feel like we need to have a, another conversation about that because yeah. again, what we try to do is, you know, we'll have, this is like our, I, I don't know, 13th conversation on the ocean and we're trying to attack it from different perspectives. So people really, when people are like, save the oceans, be like, well, it's pretty fucking complicated. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on from, from, from warming and lobsters to radioactive waste to, you know, yada, yada, uh, to salinity. And and I want to do the same thing for nuclear because it is such an important question. From yeah, the past but I, but I will say I am not concerned about radioactivity at this time in harming our oceans. We Rock are on. not yeah, that's to say great to hear. that <laughs> things may not happen in the future, but right, right, right now we're, you know, there are other really bad things that we have to worry about in our oceans and it's mean? not yeah, gonna... <laughs> radioactivity. I was say, <laughs> right? it has enough. This is, it's good it's that we don't have to worry enough. about this it's, too. You know, it's not Fukushima. It's not Chernobyl. And mm-hmm. it's not even the material that's being dumped up there that was dumped into the oceans, you know, from, you know, releases or, you know, submarines that have like never been recovered, those sure. kinds of things. Right. So that's, that's good news. Is that good oh, news? Oh, God, thank God. Kind of. Um, so let me let me pivot a little bit to sort of uh, how we kind of culminate this main part, which is, again, I, I, as I tried to paint earlier, I'm not even going to begin to pretend that our listeners, despite how nerdy and progressive they are, all feel the same way about nuclear power. Let's do, though, finish up with our, our sort of bread and butter and action-oriented question. One of our overarching goals is to shine a light on where we need to go uh, as a people, this is where we tr- try to differentiate ourselves a little bit from a traditional journalist who says, here's the facts, do what you will. Uh, what do you feel like are the big actionable questions the rest of us should be asking of our representatives, uh, both current and and incoming, as we try to plan a cleaner energy future like um, tomorrow? <laughs> I think there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of excitement and a lot of technological development in renewable resources. And I think there's a lot of opportunities to do those renewable resources along our coasts. You know, if you want to bring the oceans into it, putting out wind farms, right, along mm-hmm. our along our coastline, ways that we can take advantage of kind of the natural energy of our planet and translate it into energy that we can then use because we all like our phones and our cars and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, other things. So I guess that to me is, is really, is right. Your, your centers are about supporting innovation and technology in these areas. I mean, mm-hmm. it is so much that we can do and, and so much exciting basic research that we're, you know, it's sure. like every day we're getting closer and closer, better batteries, better energy transmission sure. and and you know we just need to support it and not 
think that it's unimportant or or pull away from it because we think because there's a political, you know, you shouldn't do it because there's no such thing as climate, right? right. I mean, that's always such an interesting dynamic to me. No, you should do it because this is technology, this is workforce development. You know, you are solving problems in ways that you know you you can't solve um, if you just kind of focus only on one aspect. So that's my that's my high horse. I love it. No, I I, I think that's great. And and do you I mean the quick answer, do you see nuclear as part of that future? I don't think we need it. I mean, I think it, I think there's a lot of pros to nuclear energy. And I think if you had asked me 25 or even 30 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, I think maybe we should do nuclear energy. And now I'm like, now, nah. uh-uh. <laughs> by the time we get that next plant built, we're going to have already made such huge strides in the next, you know, fuel sure. cell in the next, you know, wind farm, tr- you know, energy transmission in, you know, the next solar panel. Forget it. Nice. I'm into that. Then there's no um, spent fuel rods to worry about. Well, to be clear, we have a shitload of well, fuel yeah, No, no, say, no, no, more. no, 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 Plus, I, I learned so many new words. I'm going to quiz oh, you on I'm all so those words. Right? I'm going to make you spell really them. I really thought about it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's awesome. This is that girl's got a Q in it. I wasn't expecting that. Didn't see, didn't <laughs> see that coming. Um, uh, so, so, Doctor, who, who else, um, if you can think of anybody off the bat or not, that's fine. You can email us later. But uh, who else should we talk to? Um, people like you, world, world changers uh, uh, in the areas that are affecting all of us today, uh, you know, into the next 10 or 20 years. Oh my gosh. Well, there's there's so many really great people out there. You know, there's someone who I, I really admire and I really like to read what they, they talk about. And his name is um Bill Schlesinger. Okay. And he's from the uh he's the from the Carey Institute. He actually is super, super smart guy. He's a professor emeritus at Duke, and he thinks a lot about you know, environmental questions and biogeochemistry and, and, you know, how do we build a sustainable earth? And um, he's, you know, he's a member of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. I mean, he's, he's really, really cool. Awesome. Nice. That's I think awesome. he's a really interesting person to, to talk to and, and think about that. Um, and, and there's a few others that I think is pretty cool. One of them actually is my colleague. Her name is Lori Zielkowski. She spends way too much time in Antarctica. Um, wait, Ooh. can anybody spend way too much? Wait, didn't she? Did, can. She didn't happen to just uh, stab somebody for spoiling the ending of no, books, did she? No, but, but I think, you know, but this idea of doing science and being in this really small, you know, group of people and, and this kind of environment, right? And, oh. So yeah. I think we've had at least two podcast guests on in the past that have that were like we're about to go to Antarctica or have just recently gotten back from Antarctica. People tend to record with us and then go into the wilderness. Yeah, 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 while, yeah. Which Pretty is cool. fair. Um, <laughs> well, listen, we'll, we'll, I'd love to get all those names from you and heat these people up. And, and, and obviously, of, of course, the more ladies and people of color we can get on the line to help uh, yes. get their voices out there, the better. Doctor, uh, now it's lightning round time. Light, lightning round uh-huh. time. Last Gosh. few things, then we're going to get you out of here to to keep making sure we're still alive in the ocean. Doctor, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? 
Uh, I think it was probably um, pretty late. I was already probably in graduate school and I started interacting and working with uh, students of color and I and trying to get them excited about science. And I realized that I could do really great research, but I could really make a difference in students' lives by you know, getting them excited, you know, particularly students who, who traditionally don't get that access into uh, about science and how cool and awesome it is. I yes. Very good. Um, I love that. Okay. Uh, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Probably someone in, who has, who I think about a lot, who's always been very impactful besides my husband, who is super smart and always tells me when I'm full of crap is um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Robert Fennell, who's a, a, who was a professor here, who recently passed away. But he was always just so good at, I would tell him all my ideas and he would, he would kind of say, okay, you know, and walk <laughs> through them and calm me down and, and just a wonderful, wonderful sounding board. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry he's gone, but he uh, very impactful on my development. Well, that's awesome. Well, we are thankful for him then. That sounds pretty pretty important to have somebody like that in your life. Yeah. Doctor, things are complicated out there these days. Uh, what do you do specifically when you feel overwhelmed by everything? I do um, athletic activities. What athletic oh, yeah. activities? What do, you, what do you have? So, So I like to play soccer or I bike to work or I... I get rid of excess energy by making my body really tired. I have a wonderful group that I that I work out with uh, because that just releases my my stress. So I, I need to to do something like that, or I will I will probably kill people and there are many people <laughs> in jail. I know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. It's them. such a that's such a good one. I I, I had such like a. a shitty day of work the other night and all I could think about was going to the gym the next morning because I knew that was going to help and I did and it was so wonderful so much better than like you know doing something stupid and not helpful such mm -hmm. a great stress reliever it is you know and you're like oh I can't believe I got to go work out I got to change I got to get there and then right, you do right. it you're like oh yeah oh no that, that was, was the best yes. yeah <laughs> um uh doctor how do you consume the news so um this is going to sound uh silly, but my parents always listened to NPR, even when I was, you know, really young. So I have taken on that and I, I listened to um, NPR quite a bit uh, and all of the associated podcasts. Um, That's great. That's but, wonderful. That's not yeah, silly. Yeah. And then I'll read like the BBC News if I if I want kind of a external view of, of our <laughs> of our nation from from outside, you know, an outside viewpoint. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's so well-rounded. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> uh, uh, this is a fun one. If you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would that book be? He doesn't read. This, yes, I know. No, we're we're, 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 we've dealt with that question. So, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, okay. no, no, no. That's, uh, it's, it's a very fair assessment. So just for context, we have an, an Amazon wish list uh, that our listeners, we put every one of these recommendations on and our listeners can go on there. Uh, and order the books our guests recommend, and they get sent straight to the White House. So uh, we have okay. had everything from cartoons to the Constitution. So hit us. Okay. Well, 
I was talking about um, this gentleman, Bill Schlesinger. He has a book called Collected Writings and Contemporary Environmental Issues. And I just love reading his books. They're very thoughtful. They're on kind of general interest. They're, They're written in ways that I think the general public can can understand on a variety of topics. And I think that would be such a wonderful book for if... if <laughs> is there like a could... scratch and sniff version of this? Or yeah, does it come with crayons? Yeah. If it came with crayons or like, you know, fill in the dots or connect the numbers connected, be great. Um, actually, you know, but kind of maybe related to this, you know, I, I, I've been really thinking a lot about immigration mm-hmm. and about the diversity of uh our our workforce and i just think it's so important that if we are going to really solve the earth's problems we have to bring together people who just think about things differently from one another mm-hmm. i don't and and so you know i i think a good book on on like immigration and First Nations and who was really here first <laughs> mm-hmm. and how we've kind of changed the landscape of, of, you know, this country that we've grown up in. And for me, my, you know, I'm of Puerto Rican and German descent. And I think it's interesting being Hispanic and people always talk to me about being Hispanic as being an immigrant, but really it's my German side that was immigration more right. recent. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just think that yeah we we could do so much and and really just we know we can solve problems better when we bring different viewpoints and different experiences to the table. So something on that I don't know what the right book is. Maybe you could ask some other guest about what that book might be, yeah, no, we'll and get you could then recommend it back to me and and you know to to really just think about this on a broader scale. I love it. It's totally a, unrelated to science. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it's oh, it's so related to science. So it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, it is it is so vital to get more voices involved in science because we just have no idea what's going to come of it. Uh, that is, yeah, it's a fundamental way of looking at the world. Awesome. Uh, doctor, where can our listeners follow you on the internet? They can't. <laughs> hey, that's a that's oh, a hell of an answer okay. too. Can they follow your work or your workplace or they something can of that follow nature? My work on a website. I I do keep my my website up to date. You can if you just googled my last name Benitez Nelson because there's just not many of us in, yeah, the, not. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find me and you'll you'll find my website and I'll talk about kind of all the latest and greatest research that I'm doing. Perfect. That awesome. works for me. I'm I'm getting close to downgrading to that to myself. Um, uh, doctor, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, that was such a enlightening experience. Uh, and, and I think will help clarify for so many people, uh, the issues at hand and the history and also how to have productive, uh, conversations going forward, which I know seems crazy, but I think those are so essential and, and we, we thank you for help illustrating that for us. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. And maybe we'll all get to go hang out with Don right one day. One day. Oh uh, my goodness. Isn't she just the coolest? I She's love it. I don't favorite. know if we'll be able to find a hall big enough for all of the members of the fan club, though. I know. I know. I know. Uh, we'll um, just line her up and yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, doctor. We'll let you get out Thank of here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, keep kicking ass out there and uh, we will talk to you soon. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Have, thanks a, great have a great rest of your day. Bye. All right, bye. Ciao.
Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.